0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and taxpayers to the one and only conservative review podcast. Your soap opera free zone only substance here at the conservative review podcast. Um, Look, January is almost over. I can't believe it. It's already, uh, you know, end of the month. Time is flying by. Things are moving a million miles an hour. You got the coronavirus getting worse, as we talked about yesterday. We got crazy stuff going on with crime increasing in this country. Um, So many issues with the courts, the Supreme Court victory yesterday and what that means with immigration public charge. But of course, we have to have a stink bomb dropped on us because we can't have nice things by Mitt Romney. Who could have predicted that? Who could have predicted that? So we thought we were just a couple days from ending this national nightmare, this bridge to nowhere that's going to go nowhere, that ensures that every important issue gets ignored, that, inten- that attention that needs to be focused against very liberal policies that the public really doesn't want to rejuvenate suburban American values on crime and public safety. Instead, we're talking about stupidity. So we thought we were done. Mitt Romney comes in and he's in the news now, uh, doing as we all knew he would do, become the president of the media, take over the John McCain position, sandbag President Trump, and uh, demand witnesses and keep this thing alive. A lot of people are going to be talking about that today. But what few people are going to talk about is that President Trump endorsed Mitt Romney for Senate in Utah, even though there was a primary. A man named Mark Kennedy from the state legislature was, did very well against him in the debates, but there was no way he could win with Trump endorsing Mitt Romney. I give the president tough love, not because I want to go back in the past, but because I want the president to at least have a solid second term. I want nothing more than for him to be successful. We have no other choice. Where else are we going to go for now? You know, I believe the Republican Party is irremediably broken from head to toe. We need a new party. But for now, the best we have, the, the person who has been the most open to the largest array of conservative ideas in recent memory is President Trump. And if you look back at the last number of years, last three years or so. The biggest impediment to the president's success has been Congress. The fact that even when they had control over two branches. The Republican Party has not changed. It's the same members that are in leadership, are backbenchers. So while people thought they changed the Republican Party by electing Trump. Nothing else changed. At its core, most primary voters realized what all of us realize. They know what we all have observed for many years. The Republican Party is broken. You look at the early states and the primaries in 2016, and depending on the state, between 70 and 90% voted for Trump and Cruz. Put together, if you look at their numbers, These were the two outsiders against the party establishment. Ultimately, they chose Trump, but very few chose Rubio or Jeb or some of the others because people didn't want the status quo Republicans, which is pretty much just doing everything that the left does. Maybe a little bit slower, but often greasing the skids for what they could do, even more so than what they could do on their own, because Republicans serve as a loincloth to absolve them from any liability for all the things that they try to pass. And then they undermine conservatives at at every stage. But what happened was everyone ignored the Senate primaries, the gubernatorial primaries, the house primaries, and we elected the same idiots. So not only didn't we drain the swamp, we filled it even more. It's not just, oh, okay, it's hard to knock off incumbents, but at least open seats, open primaries, We were able to get in new good people. No, not really. Same bad guys. I'm going to posit a novel idea for you guys today. And that is, you can't drain the swamp, well, if you don't drain the swamp. And you certainly can't drain the swamp by refilling it. What the president needs to understand is that he will not have a successful second term If he doesn't get like minded people in the House and Senate, that was the lesson of the first two years. Where they accomplished nothing but the tax cuts, everything he could do, he had to do executively. The budget bills were worse than ever. Every budget bill was a Democrat bill. Heck, even with control of the Senate now, Trump can't even get his cabinet officials appointed. When has this ever happened in history? You know, the the excuse was he only had 51 seats. So in the midterms, they picked up two more seats. Now they have 53 seats. And as we're seeing, whether it's Romney, Murkowski, Collins, each time it's a different person. He can't get anything done. Certainly he can't get good budget bills, sanctuary city uh, legislation. Issues that people really care about, by the way. But he can't even get his people confirmed. That's why everyone in this administration, three years in, even though the Republicans control the Senate for the entirety of those three years, they're all acting. Ken Cuccinelli, one of the best architects of the strategy to shut down the border surge, he cannot be confirmed by the Republican Senate. Now I've criticized the president for his bad choices of personnel like Chad Wolf as as DHS secretary, but part of the problem is the the defense of him is that he can't get it past his own Republican Senate because these guys are horrible. They're full of people like Mitt Romney. But the problem with that is that the president is largely responsible for that. There's no middle ground when it comes to President Trump's endorsements. President Trump is the 800-pound gorilla in the room In Republican politics with GOP voters if he endorses a good candidate it's almost certain they'll win but if he endorses the establishment guy it's a death knell for any of his supporters that want to send reinforcements it's like you know storming the castle running up the ladder ladder and storming the castle and then the guy gets up there and takes away the ladder before reinforcements could come I don't say this to hit him on the past. I say this because he needs to learn for the future. Yes, I know Mitt Romney had a lot of name ID. He was a former presidential candidate. He had a ton of money, but he was also a carpetbagger in Utah, and and he was not an incumbent. At the end of the day, as much of a favored candidate as he was, he was not an incumbent. Was an open seat. Orrin Hatch retired 2018. It was a guy, Mark Kennedy, from the state legislature, ran. The president could have supported him. Instead, he actively
1: endorsed Mitt Romney, even after Mitt Romney trashed him. Well, what happens? Where do you go from there? It didn't have to be this way. If
0: Trump endorses a MAGA candidate, that candidate will win. But what's happening is, all of these people who betray conservatives on issue after issue including also just personally getting in the way of president trump they're all going to get reelected and all these garbage heads win in the in the primaries because few people are even challenging them why are few people challenging them because why would you challenge them if you know it's hard enough to beat establishment candidates with name identification and money and party support to begin with But if you know that the president is going to then support the jerk anyway, you have no way of winning. It took your 5% chance of winning and it made it 0%. But if Trump would downright go the other direction and support the good guy, they would have more than a 50% chance of winning. So that is the key lesson with the president in primaries. He's got to move away from this. He has rarely supported good guys. We're not seeing him support Chris Kobach. I mean, he's, he's silent so far over Steve Marshall in the Kansas Senate race. Marshall is the guy who was backed by the open borders ag lobby whores in Kansas and defeated Tim Hulskamp, one of the best
1: House members. We're not seeing that. He supports Martha McSally.
0: And I know there wasn't much of a challenger, but part of the reason was because they all knew he was backing them. North Carolina, Tom Tillis is horrible, horrible. He originally opposed Trump on on the border wall. Then he flipped to get his endorsement, got his endorsement. And he actually had for once a well um, funded. He was a self funder, a wealthy guy who was challenging him in a primary. Trump supported Tillis. The guy dropped out. What was he supposed to do? And there's one thing if you tell me, look, Daniel, Trump is not ideological. He's all about if you're with him, he'll support you. If you trash him, he's against you. But the problem is if you look at the pattern of Trump's endorsements, you'll notice that the only time he, he goes against someone who's a rhino or, or someone who's, who has trashed him is if they're also anti-establishment candidates that have fallen out of favor with the establishment. So, like, he went after hard, and it worked. Mark Sanford and Justin Amash. Now, look, I'll be the first to tell you, they're not my speed. They're the opposite end of the spectrum as me. They're, they're libertarians. They're non-traditional conservatives. But they are good on fiscal issues, on health care, on spending, and they're anti-party establishment. But that's the thing. The establishment hated them, so they went to Trump, and they said, oh, well, they're saying bad things about you. Trump went after them. But when it came to people like Martha Roby in Alabama, who said Trump should have dropped out when it came to Cindy Hyde Smith, some like loser rhino in Mississippi of all States running against Chris McDaniel. He backed Cindy Hyde Smith against Chris McDaniel, who was a favorite of Trump's base. And Mitt Romney trashed Trump left and right before the endorsement. And he endorses him. If you look at the pattern, the only ones that he goes after who have said not nice things about him are ones that also are against establishment. We saw this, too, in the Alabama Senate race. He endorsed this Luther Strange establishment guy that nobody in Alabama wanted and went after Mo Brooks. Now, Mo Brooks was against Trump, but he was against Trump from the right. He backed Ted Cruz. It wasn't an establishment way. Now he's the most loyal guy to him, like, any, like all the Cruz supporters were. And the party establishment went to Trump and Kushner and got him to trash on Mo Brooks. And then you had the whole fiasco with um, Roy Moore and they wound up losing the seat. But had, had Mo Brooks gotten the nomination, he would have avoided that whole problem.
1: Democrats wouldn't have won the seat and he would have had a good conservative. I, I, I mean, I can't be more
0: pro-Trump than he is of himself. So a lot of my colleagues are now talking about oh look how bad Mirani is. But like everything, like a budget bill like legislation, like a court case, like um a primary, they're all there after the fact. But they're never there to focus the president's attention on the issue that will actually leverage the outcome at the time that it matters. That's that's the problem. And you look at all these rhinos up for re-election, Dan Sullivan, In Alaska, 54, Liberty score. McConnell, obviously, 36. Bill Cassidy, 49. These are states Trump carried by wide margins. Lindsey Graham at 31. Mike Rounds at 32. In South Dakota. Shelley Moore Capital in West Virginia. Trump carried it by 42 points. She has a 32% Liberty score. And then you have the open seats, like in Kansas, Tennessee, where Trump needs to back the right candidate. I could write a book on how it is nearly impossible to challenge the establishment on, um, you know, Senate House, certainly as incumbents. How many Senate incumbents have been knocked out in the primary and successfully went on to win a, a general election? Almost never. It's impossible to beat them. The few times we did, the party sandbagged them and they couldn't win the general election. Because loyalty is only one way in the party. Conservatives will always back rhinos in the general election. Vice versa, never happens. But even open seats, it's impossible. Trump is the great equalizer. He could take candidates that have little money and name ID, but would support his agenda or his alleged agenda, and he, he could make them 9 out of 10 times winners. But in the majority of times, he's not only declined to endorse them. He actually went and endorsed the bad guys. Just happened in this Florida race in Florida um, 26. I'm forgetting the name of the guy. He just endorsed this guy who voted for Hillary Clinton and said Trump needs to drop out in 2016. Over this Cuban refugee who became like a real MAGA Trump type. You know, she is totally out of luck now. That's the single biggest thing that conservative media and conservative groups could affect. Get in Trump's face on that. There's five things Trump could do to have a more successful second term. Okay? Use the veto pen more. Number one. Use the bully pulpit on issues more consistently and effectively. And we could talk about how to do each one of these individually. Obviously, more executive actions. That he has lawful authority to do. Push back against the courts, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Assert co-equal independent branch status. Against the stupid nationwide injunction business. Because that's a linchpin to the executive policies. And then number five. He's got to make better choices in the primaries. I mean, do you really best case scenario, which is very unlikely right now. Although maybe it will happen if they do nominate Bernie Sanders, the Democrats, that is. Trump's win, uh, Trump wins re-election, Republicans win back the House, they keep the Senate. But you're going to be no better off than you were in the first two years, which was horrible. At least legislatively. Kevin McCarthy is Speaker, Mitch McConnell is Majority Leader, the same roster of losers. They're not going to want to pass aggressive legislation on illegal immigration curbing legal immigration, crime,
1: um, any, any of his priorities. Budget, nowhere. You're going to have the same problem we were in the first two
0: years. And he won't even be able to confirm good executive nominees in the Senate because you're going to have the same roster of people. I mean, think about it. Lisa Murkowski opposed the Holy Grail. She voted against Kavanaugh,
1: who's a lousy establishment Can justice but whatever that's a different story is there any effort to
0: i don't think she's up until 2022 but is there any effort to ensure that at least now she doesn't get another term from alaska i mean susan collins at least from maine it's a tougher state alaska come on but if you think about it if you're a conservative in alaska willing to put your neck out and run against the establishment, run against Lisa Murkowski, do you have the confidence that Trump's going to back you and, and conversely not downright back Lisa Murkowski? No, you really don't. And that's the problem. See, part of why we're not more successful is because Trump has made bad endorsements. It, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then you don't have good candidate recruitment because why should someone put themselves out there?
1: Let's say you're a more conservative member of the House. And you want to challenge one of the rhinos in the Senate. Right? That's a better recruit. A sitting House member as opposed to
0: a random guy with no name ID. It's a pretty good recruit. That's the type of guy you'd want to get.
1: But why would that guy want to commit political suicide if they know Trump's going to be against him? He's going to have nothing. This is the single biggest thing he needs to change. There's so many red states where it's just, it's, it's just, it's worthless. And we hear somehow, oh, well, they convinced Trump that conservative candidates can't win. Well, I mean, like, these establishment candidates are awful. Martha McSally in Arizona, she lost. And she's down in the
0: polls again, so they nominated her to pick her to run for the other seat. Where is the conservative involvement in primaries? I just don't get it. We're we're gonna do this. We're gonna we're gonna have candidates on the show. We're gonna try to do this. And 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 to be clear, I need more research research to be able to endorse people. It's very hard. But on the other hand, to not get on the playing field is, is you know doesn't do you any good. So what I am going to do is invite candidates on. I'm not necessarily going to endorse, but you could see for yourself. So if they are good, you know, you could you could donate to them. But what's the one primary where people are going to get involved? And and this is something that really just ticks me off. It's the soap opera. It's all about impeachment. It's all about Mueller, whichever candidate. I mean, they could engage in sodomy on live TV. They could be pro-abortion. They could be anti-tax cut. Pro-legal immigration, pro-criminal, but as long as they had a good soundbite at a hearing on impeachment, they become heroes to conservative media. So this is the latest trend. This is how you had with what's her name? Elise Stefanik has become a big star. She is so liberal. she even voted against the Chamber of Commerce priorities, uh, much less that she voted for amnesty and all sorts of things. Against Trump's wall. One of the most liberal Republicans out there. She's a big hero now. So, what's the one primary where I bet you everyone's gonna get involved? There's already a lot of talk about the Georgia Senate race. As you know, Johnny Isaacson retired, kind of a rhino himself, total nothing in in the in the Senate. So you have a House member named Doug Collins. He's the ranking Republican on the Judiciary Committee. He's been extremely feisty and made his rounds on conservative media about impeachment he's become a big star so you know trump wanted him to be picked as senator um but to fill the vacant seat governor kent chose a a newcomer she was a gop donor wealthy businesswoman kelly Loeffner, or loffler i think and uh she is now sitting there in the in the senate now i don't know much about her she was obviously picket she was obviously 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 chosen for identity politics um that she was a a female looks like the type that could appeal to suburban voters they're losing voters in georgia so it was a strategic choice now how conservative is she going to be i don't know there's nothing about her that i see that's particularly great on the surface but i don't have anything to point to that's bad so i'm not backing anyone yet but the perception is that she's some sort of you know, party hack donor, and Doug Collins is the feisty conservative house member. Folks, you need to know Doug Collins was the lead sponsor in the house of the wretched first step jailbreak bill. This is a guy, if you look up his comments, he believes Jesus wants jailbreak. Oh, they need second chances. It's all about the criminal, even though they have a hundred chances. Now, mind you, in the state of Georgia, in the state of Georgia, you have some of the worst problems with crime re you know reemerging. emerging governor kemp is now you know proposing a whole legislative agenda on
1: gangs because they're resurfacing and um this is this is happening everywhere it's happening all over the place we've written about a lot of different uh
0: georgia cases georgia jailbreaks i have a number of these cases
1: but. Uh, it's it's a big problem. It's a very big problem. We reported on the case of a 17-year-old with a massive criminal record of 12 or so uh, arrests. He was arrested for carjacking, let go on a tiny amount of bail and um got out and then now he's accused of just brutally
0: beating and raping a woman randomly who was jogging in a park and
1: guess what he was let out on bail again you know you look at what's going on there one one police zone in
0: atlanta which includes midtown atlanta Experienced an 11% increase in robberies and a 36% increase in thefts last year. That police blame on repeat offenders cycling in and out of jail. A recent report from the Atlanta Repeat Offender Commission shows that in in, uh, 2017 and 2018, just 23% of repeat offenders arrested by Atlanta police were sentenced to any degree of confinement. A decrease of nearly 14% from those sentenced in 2016. The most common sentence issued was time served. Time served. Yet now, not only are few of them being sentenced to prison time, but more of them are being released pretrial from pretrial jail on ridiculously low bail. Yet people like Doug Collins think the system is too punitive the way it is. It's too harsh on the criminal. This man is the embodiment of the evangelical left. I'm just telling you, do we really need another guy like that in the Senate? Now, I don't know how Kelly Loeffler is. Maybe she's just as bad on this and even worse on other issues, so maybe he cancels that. I don't know. I'm not making a determination on that yet. I'm just telling you, this is like the one primary challenge that everyone's looking forward to. Now, under current law, there is no primary anyway that would have to change the law and the governor is opposed to it. Um, in order to have a a special election otherwise Loeffler has a free shot at filling out the term and um collins wouldn't be able to run until the next cycle not not this year so it, it might not even be relevant but i'm just telling you this is the problem we focus on vanity but look impeachment no matter what is not going anywhere trump's not gonna be thrown out And no matter what, there's gonna be an election. And no matter what, Trump likely has a very good chance, based on what the Democrats are putting up, of getting reelected. What we need to be building on now is how to have the best second term on the issues that matter as possible. And in order to do that, you need to elect better people to Congress. The gulf between electing a rhino versus a real conservative in a primary is just as wide, if not wider, than electing a Republican. Versus electing a Democrat in a general election. We need to stop sleeping in the primaries. It's just ridiculous. I'm sick of this. Trump is the best weapon, but he could also be used as the biggest weapon against us if he
1: winds up endorsing the wrong candidate. So, this is the thing with primaries better use of the veto pen,
0: better legislative strategy to demand that they push his pieces of legislation, budget fights. Get involved in primaries for the better, not for the worse. Use the bully pulpit more effectively for all this stuff, and push back against the courts. You do that, he'll have a bang up second term. Otherwise, it's going to be a repeat of the first term. And you know what? Historically, Republican presidents, no matter who they are, turn to the left in their second term. You would think getting reelected it kind of vouches for your um, electability. You're you're proven right you're going to move to the right, it gives you a bigger mandate. No, that's not what happens. If you want better personnel, better policies, you need better Republicans in Congress. Really, we need a better party in Congress, but barring that, at least get involved in the primaries. Again, you, you get 10 of the top Republican Fox News-oriented shows, podcasts, conservative figures, alleged conservative figures, Saying what I'm saying, we'd have a different presidency, different outcomes. I'm not saying he hasn't done good things, but I'm saying those good things demonstrate we could do even better. Again, Trump's a one once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We got to utilize it for all all we can get.
1: So, on that note, let's turn to the courts. How Trump could more aggressively implement the laws on the
0: books on immigration and other, other regulatory policies without this court resistance that I told you they have no power to enforce their infringements of power. A, they're infringements. They have no authority to make these universal injunctions. And B, they have no power to
1: enforce them until the executive branch enforces it for them. They need to stop doing that. So let's talk about what happened yesterday. So as always, you're going to hear
0: on this program a different take that everyone else is taking. Most people are reporting the same thing. Wow, you know, the Supreme Court five to four agreed to stay the injunction placed on Trump's public charge rule um, requiring or not requiring, but just ensuring that those who come here and try to access welfare or public charge can't get a green card. Um, As required by law, laws that were on the books since the colonial times and reiterated by Congress in the latest iteration in 1996. And even then, Trump doesn't fully implement it, just a modest version of it. They could still access a lot of wealth, welfare programs, but just not all of them. And, uh, you know, five to four ruling, you know, that could go through. And everyone's also focusing on the second part, which is that Gorsuch in a concurrence, you know, because there's no opinion. It was just a stay of an injunction. They didn't hear the case. Um, But then Gorsuch wrote a concurrence and Thomas, of course, joined it because Thomas himself wrote about this previously. So now was Gorsuch's turn. How they just launched into the broader problem that they said, wait a minute, this is this is a bigger problem um, that it's not just about the merits of how absurd it was to say that Trump can enforce public charge laws but this notion of how you can go to any district judge anytime no matter the issue no matter the standing and he could put some sort of veto power um on a law rather than just give a judgment to plaintiffs which is the judicial power as we've talked about many times and it was a beautiful concurrence he he said a lot of the things i have said um really very well and he made a lot of the political points um but the question is where we go from there. Not just a hey, this was a beautiful concurrence by Gorsuch. Hey, you see, look, they're laughing out of the out of the nationwide injunctions. Oh, it's totally illegal. So what? So what are you going to do about it? Um, OK, well, we hope at an appropriate time the Supreme Court will take it up in full and we get five justices to agree. Well, I got news for you. You're not going to get five justices to, to agree because they suck. We only have two. There's a reason only two put their names on that. We have Thomas and Gorsuch, and I've said before, there's only one who's good on everything. And that's Thomas Gorsuch. On the issues he's good on, he's very good, and he'll join Thomas. And we see that now with the um, the universal injunctions. Alito is similar. Like whenever Gorsuch is good, Alito is not. When Alito is good, Gorsuch is not, which is a problem because we can never get even three. Often it's often they take turns. And then Kavanaugh and Roberts suck. okay. I mean, I have no better way of saying that. So I'm just telling you, you're not going to get five justices, at least not fully saying what Thomas and Gorsuch have said, that this whole concept is a violation of judicial power, issuing injunctions outside of plaintiffs um, on on abstract policies fundamentally is a veto power that was never given to the judiciary. I guarantee you we don't have five votes, but nor do we need five votes because you don't Need the judicial branch as the only branch to police its stupidity. We either have three co-equal branches of government that are independent of each other, or we don't. Or we have the judiciary and any one of the thousand district judge judges standing on top of the food chain. Either we have a judicial North Korea, a monarchy vested in whatever district judge Democrats seek to empower or we have three co-equal branches of government that always have a responsibility to push back against each other when a case intersects with its respective powers. And when a judge seeks to give standing illegally to straw man plaintiffs in order to rule on a broad principle or a national question rather than an individual criminal or civil case, well, then you need the other branches to give force to that. And they have a responsibility to say, "Wait a minute! You overstepped your boundaries, and therefore, I will not give force to it." That needs to happen. Utilize what Gorsuch and Thomas are saying to buttress your bully pulpit case for the president, for Attorney General Barr, to say we are done with district and you know nationwide injunctions and universal injunctions. But instead, you know, they put out um, a press release here. And they basically said, trying to find in my notes here, if I have it. Justice Department put out a statement saying, we hope that the Supreme Court is able to address the matter of nationwide injunctions once and for all. But if it's illegal and you know it's illegal and you say it's illegal and it it's not just illegal in any way, as Gorsuch and Thomas and I have been saying. You cannot have a republic if this is true. Because that would mean that the judiciary is able to veto legislation and policies, not render judgments to plaintiffs. That would mean that the judiciary is fundamentally something very different than from what it was conceived as. The other branches need to get on the playing field. How have we had this for three freaking years going on and not a single member of Congress when they had both branches, now they still have the Senate. Will even bring standalone legislation, much less force it in a budget bill or must pass bill to deal with this issue and just reaffirm that it's illegal. Now, you don't need it to you, know, you don't need legislation to end universal injunctions, as Clarence Thomas said in Trump v. Hawaii in his concurrence. Even were Congress to pass a bill explicitly vesting judges with this power, it would be unconstitutional and it wouldn't be binding. Because judge in other words, let, let's say Congress passed a bill to ratify what essentially our political system practices or legitimizes in practice with the judiciary. that the judiciary could strike down legislation. Were Congress to vest them with
1: veto power, it would be unconstitutional because. They have to guard their own powers
0: and and ironically, they're not allowed to give away their power. They're not allowed to give other
1: branches power that they're uh, that they cannot have. So that's the real issue here. But yeah, I mean, I do
0: like that Gorsuch finally not only did he reiterate Thomas's views, how it's unconstitutional, it's illegal, but he also pointed out the political absurdity of it. Which, is, I've noted before, that until and unless this administration pushes back, here's why. Oh, Daniel, um, we won public charge. No, you didn't. They're going to come back for the next round of litigation like they did on the the travel ban. Here's how he said it. I've said this so many times. There are currently more than 1,000 active and senior district court judges sitting across 94 judicial districts and subject to review in 12 regional courts of appeal. Because plaintiffs generally are not bound by adverse decisions in cases to which they are not a party, there is nearly boundless opportunity to shop for a friendly forum to secure a win nationwide. The risk of winning conflicting nationwide injunctions is real, too, and the stakes are, are asymmetric. If a single successful challenge is enough to stay the challenged rule across the country, the government's hope of impl- implementing any new policy could face the long odds of a straight sweep playing a 94-0 to 0 win in the district courts into a 12-0 to 0 victory in the courts of appeal. A single loss, and the policy goes on ice, possibly for good or just as possibly for some intermediate period of time until another court jumps in to grant a stay. And all that can repeat ad infinitum until either one side gives up or this court grants a certiorari. What in this games, gamesmanship and chaos can we be proud of? So very well said. And I would argue that even after they grant cert and take up the case.
1: I mean, you saw this here, the Ninth Circuit agreed with Trump on the public charge. The Fourth Circuit agreed with him, the two most liberal circuits. Yet a district judge in New York still did his thing. And and to this day, ICE is not implementing, ICE is putting on ICE.
0: To finally implement expedited removal. The bill that passed in 1996
1: that illegal aliens have no right to this endless years of litigation. They're out. And they
0: published a rule to implement it, but they're not because of district judges putting injunctions on. They have no power to do
1: that. So this Supreme Court win, and especially the concurrence, beautifully said, but just.
0: Joined by one other person. Stop with the talking points. Stop with the clickbait. Oh, Gorsuch had a great concurrence. I I agree. I understand. But what are you going to do with it? Use what he says to buttress your case as an independent branch. I know this is true. Everyone knows it's true. And now two Supreme Court justices are saying it's true. They lack this power. So we will not recognize them.
1: They have to do that because this is going to keep going on. And no, you're not going to get five justices who are going to be as constitutionally sweeping on this as Gorsuch and Thomas. You're not. There's a reason they didn't join. That's the story here. In the closing moments of today's show, I want to just read to you.
0: It's going to be a lot of reading, but you guys need to hear this. I keep struggling to find analogies and ways to give over to people that the courts cannot be the final say. It has to go around in a circle. The other branches have to have at least as much of a responsibility to interpret the Constitution and law independently as it intersects with their powers. And in fact, they have more power to enforce it. And what I found is nobody better explain this. Than Edward Bates, Abraham Lincoln's attorney general. He was from Missouri. This was when Lincoln felt he needed to suspend habeas corpus and the courts were going after him. Now, in that case, he legitimately did violate the Constitution. But I think what he was arguing there is that, like, I also have a responsibility as president to put down a rebellion. So what do you want from me? You, you reach a point. There are times where, like, you can't take one provision of the Constitution to the gates of hell at the expense of five more foundational things i mean we've we have this on illegal immigration all the time like oh daniel you can't do this because this might like what so so then you violate every other aspect of, of sovereignty in the constitution so anyway he talked about sovereignty and it's a very important point he talked about how in in europe at least back then The sovereignty was all vested in one individual, meaning he was sovereign. He had all the power and no one had a check on him. No one had a power but him. That's a monarch. And he goes on to explain what our system is and how if you believe in judicial supremacism, we're no different
1: than Europe. I'm going to read to you some lines from this. Moreover, in Europe, generally,
0: the sovereignty is vested visibly in some designated man or set of men so that the subject power can see their sovereign as well as feel the workings of, of his power. But in this country, it has been carefully provided otherwise. In the formation of our national government, our fathers were surrounded with peculiar difficulties arising out of their novel, I may say, unexampled condition. In resolving to break the ties which had bound them to the British Empire, their complaints were leveled, chiefly at the king not the parliament nor the people they seem to have been actuated by a speci- by a special dread of the unity of power and hence in framing the constitution they prefer to take the risk of leaving some good undone for lack of power in the agent rather than arm any government officer with such great powers for evil as are implied in the dictatorial charge to see that no damage comes to the commonwealth so that's the thing. They didn't want to put all the sovereignty in one branch. Hence, keeping the sovereignty always out of sight, they, they, and, and don't confuse this with national sovereignty like you know, illegal immigration, this is the sovereignty of powers of governance. They wanted to avoid giving, any, giving sovereignty to any one branch. They adopted the plan of checks and balances, forming separate departments of government and giving to each department separate and limited powers. These departments are coordinate and co-equal that is neither being sovereign each is independent in its sphere and not subordinate to the others either of them or both of them together we have three of these coordinate departments now if we allow one of the three to determine the extent of its own powers and also the extent of the powers of the other two that one can control the whole government and has in fact achieved the
1: sovereignty a.k.a. what we have erroneously in practice today with the courts. And and he talks about checks and balances that, you know, the need to push back.
0: And he says, to say that the departments of our government are coordinate is to say that the judgment of one of them is not binding upon the other
1: two as to the arguments and principles involved in the judgment. Listen to this very carefully. It's a letter written by Edward Bates, Lincoln's Attorney General. It binds only
0: the parties to the case decided. And that's really what Gorsuch and Thomas were driving at. But if, admitting that the departments of government are coordinate, it be still contended that the principles adopted by one department in deciding a case properly before it certainly improperly are binding upon another department that obligation must of necessity be reciprocal. That is, if the president be bound by the principles laid down by the judiciary, so also is the judiciary bound by the principles laid down by the president. And thus we shall have a theory of constitutional government flatly contradicting itself. In other words, you can't have each one being 100% sovereign. Each one achieving 100% sovereignty, because that's, that's an impossibility, right? Then, then, you know, each one could subject the other one. No. It's the other way around. Neither could subject the other one. They could stay in its own lane. Departments coordinated and co-equal, and yet reciprocally subordinate to each other, that cannot be. The several departments, though, are far from sovereign are free and independent in the exercise of the limited powers granted to them, respectively by the Constitution. Our government indeed as a whole, meaning even if you put all three together, listen listen to the profundity of what Bates is saying. Even as a whole, is not vested with the sovereignty and does not possess all the powers of the nation. It has no powers, but such are granted by the Constitution, and many powers are expressly withheld. The nation certainly is co-equal with all other nations and has equal powers, but it is not chosen to delegate. delegate all its powers to this government in any or all of its departments so he's saying a very profound thought that under our limited government even if you put all three together they haven't achieved full sovereignty yet we are told today that one district judge could could do something that all of government couldn't do they could redefine life they could redefine marriage they could redefine citizenry there's nothing that a district judge cannot do and not have that as the law of the land. No, that's not the system we adopted. The government as a whole is limited and limited in all its departments. It is the special function of the judiciary, listen to this, to hear and determine cases, not to establish, and he puts this in quotes, to, quote, establish principles, nor, quote, settle questions. So as to conclude any person but the parties and privies to the case is judged. Very, very profound. So if if courts want to bring plaintiffs where they're not, there's not nothing like urgent that's specific to them, like governments taking away their property individually. It's just you get a straw man plaintiff to put a national question, a national policy, a national principle into the courts and judge on that policy. Ha ha ha! I got standing. That's bullcrap. You could judge whatever you want, but the notion that the other branches are are bound by that, that's insane. Folks, how do we go on as a civil society and not answer this question? Until this question is answered, whether the system is as Bates describes it, or it's a system as as the political elites think it is, that a judge is judge, jury, and executioner over the other two branches on every national question, nothing matters. Nothing matters. It's appalling that we've allowed this to go on. For this long and and have done nothing about it. He goes on to quote Article Three, and he quotes what the powers were. And then he says, after he says what the, you know, Article Three, and that is the sum of its powers, ample and efficient, referring to the judiciary for all the purposes of distributive justice among individual parties, but powerless to
1: impose rules of action and of judgment upon the other department. And think about that. Judges saying, imposing positive actions, you must have five weeks of
0: early voting. So you must get county clerks in on Sundays, five weeks before an election to have voting. You must um, offer a marriage license to a horse and a donkey. You must go ahead and give visas to
1: these people and also give them welfare. You don't have such power. And then he has another profound thought.
0: Indeed, it is not itself bound by its own decisions, for a canon often does overrule and disregard them as in common honesty it ought to do whenever it finds by its after and better lights that its former judgments were wrong. So here's the irony. A court could rule over every other branch of government and even its own rulings at whim it could reverse. But the other branches were told, hey, whatever they tell you at any given time, you're at their mercy. That's insane. It's utterly insane. No honest person who understands anything about our founding could say this erroneous practice is rooted in the Constitution. No, it's rooted in the the worst form of despotism. It's got to stop. It's got to stop tomorrow. And by simply saying, oh, the Supreme Court issued a good ruling in this case. They allowed, Google this, you'll see, almost every headline, Supreme Court allows Trump's public charge rule to go through. What do you mean allows? What, it's, it kind of, Article 3 says, okay, House passed bill, Senate passed the bill, goes to President, President could sign or veto. Oh, no, no, and now it goes to the courts to, to, to ratify with their signature or veto with their uh, thumbs down. no. They can issue a judgment to a plaintiff, but if doing by doing that, they are seeking to undermine a law or a policy, which sometimes they might be right about. But the notion that the other branches have no say in that is just absurd and that they have to take positive actions against the way they understand the Constitution and issue sorts of government documents against their better
1: judgment. No, it's just simply not true. It's a very profound letter. We'll link to it in show notes. You can see all of it yourself. Are you with Lincoln? Or are you with Douglas?
0: Are you a disciple of Dred Scott and Roe v. Wade? Or are you with the Constitution? Three independent branches of government. It's that simple. Stop putting your hopes in somehow judges are going to save us from other judges. It's time for the other two branches to get on the playing field. Now, Congress is a dumpster fire. Democrats control the House. Rhinos control the Senate. But the president, and it's funny, Bates in this article actually says the president is a department of one. The president is a department of the government. And although the only department which consists of a single man, he is charged with a greater range and variety of powers and duties than any other department. And it's very true
1: time to use that power not unlawfully but to enforce long-standing immigration laws for example the
0: census for goodness sakes how how a court could say john roberts you're right you implemented it right you have the constitution the law the history and preamble of the entire purpose of a census is to count the number of citizens but uh, i don't like what you told the judge but how do you Judge a case to begin with and give standing if you just admitted there's no way to have a legal violation. So even if he said, gave a Mickey Mouse answer to the district judge, it was an illegal inquiry to an executive action. How could a court start demanding the way you write up a census? You write it up the way you see fit.
1: Someone needs to get to these stupid lawyers in the White House. I'm sorry. Judges
0: do not have this power. Gorsuch and Thomas are essentially saying the same thing.
1: But they didn't really do anything for us because they don't have five votes. But we're not going to get the five votes. But then again, we don't need it. Philosophically, this is the most destructive.
0: Destructive, erroneous practice of government. Judicial supremacy doesn't make sense on any level. It's destroying our country, and the Democrats are always going to be able to game that out. Oh, point better judges. Gorsuch actually has a great summation of why that's not going to help. They keep coming back for more. He, he I Remember, I said this all the time. You have to win ninety-four district courts. If they win in one, uh, they they win it under this system. He said that exact point. This is going to keep going on. Again, Trump needs to push better in primaries. He needs to get better personnel. He needs to use his veto pen. He needs to use executive power. He needs to push back against the courts, use the bully pulpit to buttress all of this. And then he's on the way to having a very successful second term. This is what we need to start thinking about. What does a second term look like in the coming days? Guys, a lot to think about. Send me your comments, questions, and concerns. dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Follow me on Twitter at armconservative. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Conservative Review and uh, Blaze Media as well. Till tomorrow, God
1: bless you all.